welcome to Setting Light Hunting Stories Podcast, the podcast dedicated to the average Joe and their dope hunting stories. I'm your host, Travis Williams. You're listening to episode 124. All right, guys, welcome to the show. I uh, hope that you're having a fantastic week. I am not sure about using the word dope to describe anything, but my buddy Wyatt, uh, he listens to the show. He knows that I struggle with just saying great or awesome all the time in that intro. I tried to change it up there for a while. And so he threw out a list of more modern uh, hipster, I guess, kind of words. So thank you, Wyatt, for dope. I'll probably never ever say that again, Um, but there you go. Uh, We do have some amazing hunting stories on this show. I am so blessed to get to hear these and um, like sharing them with you guys, and so just thank you for listening. Thank you for those of you who've left uh, ratings and reviews, and I know not all podcast platforms allow you to do that, but over on iTunes, I want to thank uh, 007Ian. Uh, May 18th, he said, this is hands down the best hunting podcast with Christ-like principles, very good stories, and a good message at the end. God bless you, and keep doing what you're doing. So, Ian, just want to say thank you very much. I really appreciate that. If you can leave a review wherever you're at, or just share it with a buddy, any of those things help spread the word. And I greatly appreciate that. If you'd like to come on the show, it is an open invitation, sheddinglightod at gmail.com. Or you can hit me up, uh, DM on Instagram or on Facebook. Just look up uh, Shedding Light Outdoors and would love to hear from you and hear your hunting stories. Uh, Not a lot, obviously, in the realm of hunting, but I have really kind of caught the fishing bug. Um, I've I've just enjoyed going out, even going to like some of these places where it's not great and I just catch some bluegill. That's kind of fun. But the other day, I do have a fishing story. I never thought I'd tell like an actual legit fishing story on this this podcast. But I have a buddy uh, who was in my youth group. Now he's in college, and he was home for the summer. And his name's Aaron. And I saw him at church. Say, man, we need to get together. I was like, why don't we go fishing or something? He's like, yeah, I got some spots. So uh, he he texted me one day, said, are you free? And I was like, well, I got about two hours where I put the girls down for a nap. And my wife's working, so I, I could probably go then. So that was the game plan. We snuck out to a spot, and um, we didn't really sneak. He has permission on a uh, property where uh, a couple of his buddies brought a new house, and um, it is a great little spot back in the woods. Um, his buddies weren't there. It was just me and Aaron. We went out, nice pond, decent-sized farm pond back in the woods, and uh, not a lot of scum on it. looked pretty good. And so I was uh, using a, a plastic worm. And really kind of wanting to get away from just using worms and just kind of going with the bobber. I wanted to try and figure out how to bass fish a little bit. And so um, my buddy recommended like a U-tailed worm and uh, one of those zoom baits and um, put that on there. Made it kind of weedless, you know, the way that you can do that. Uh, look up YouTube if you don't know what I'm talking about. And it's it's very nice. Didn't get snagged on anything like I used to. And uh, I think on the second cast, I caught the biggest bass up to that point that I'd, I'd ever caught. I, I think he was maybe 17, 18 inches, um, if I remember right. I didn't have scales or anything, but he was a nice, nice bass. I was pumped. I was like, I couldn't believe that, like, right off the bat. Um, ended up catching probably five or six more uh, smaller ones. Ended up catching a little, uh, a, a, actually a decent-sized bluegill. And uh, rained a little bit on this pond, and we moved around, and Aaron and I got to talk a little bit, and it was nice. But I decided to go to the far side of the pond. There was a little bit of scum kind of, you know, uh, in the corner, and I thought it might be a little bit of a pocket. So I cast out just about a foot to the uh, left of the the scum and uh, waited, let it drop a little bit, and then I gave a little jerk, and then I let it drop again. 
and that second drop, I, I felt a bite, and I felt another bite, and then I felt it start to take it, and I pulled, and nothing, and then nothing for like five to ten seconds, start to reel, and I, I realized, you know, my worm's almost off the hook. Whatever this was, I was like, this is, this is a big fish. So I decided to cast again, same spot. Let it fall, give it a few seconds, give it a little jerk, let it fall again, and then it hits, and it hits again. I'm, I'm like, I'm going to make sure it's actually taking it this time. I don't want to yank it out of its mouth. So it hit two more times, and all of a sudden I see my line start to move, and I set the line. And immediately I knew that I had the biggest fish that I'd ever, I mean, I just just knew that this fish was a big one. Um, and so my line starts going back and forth in the water, and it goes from right to left out away from that scum. And I look, and I, I see a giant fish shadow on my line. I, I'm like, this, this is it. So I had my drag just barely set just to, to go out a little bit. And this thing, this is the first fish that was taking my drag out on my new pole that my wife got me for my birthday. And just using a Zepco 10-pound test line and uh, nothing fancy, but it did, does the trick. And this uh, big fish starts taking my line. I'm reeling whenever he's not pulling and trying. I'm just afraid of breaking my line. You know, obviously it'd take a lot to break the 10-pound, but I was just... I was just nervous. I called Aaron. I was like, you might want to get over here. I think I've got a pretty big fish on, and he was on the other side, so he started working his way over. And this fish, I was just, I mean, it was a good fight, probably a minute and a half, two minutes, and finally he starts going toward the scum underneath it. And I was like, I can't, I can't, can't let him take my drag and go underneath there because I'm afraid he'll get up in that stuff. It'll be too much weight. Maybe he'll flip up into the, the stuff, and I won't be able to get him in. So I tightened down my drag, and I just started pulling started reeling, reeling, and I got to the point where I felt like I could back up, and I just backed up, backed up onto the shore, and I pulled out the biggest bass that I've ever caught in my life. Probably, it might be the biggest bass that I ever catch in my life. <laughs> uh, really, really nice fish. Um, we did not have scales, but I pulled this guy up, huge mouth. Uh, my bait was clear down in the back. Of, he hadn't swallowed. It was clear almost back, but I had him hooked real good and got it out. And measured him, he was 22 inches long, um, just huge girth. I, I'm going to guess, I just I don't know much about fishing. So I asked my buddies, like, how big do you think this fish is? They're guessing that he is about a six-pound bass. Now, for some of you, that might just be normal. You have these farm ponds, you go out. But for me, that's an absolute giant. I, I've posted pictures of him on social and got a ton of people that were pumped and excited for me, said that he was a big fish. So... I uh, didn't keep them or anything like that. I, I don't know the norms of fishing. It's kind of like getting into hunting. I mean, it's there's so many different things. I asked my brother, you know, I was like, yeah, I might have kept him if he was on like a public. I did put him back because it was a private pond. We had permission from some buddies to be there. He's like, well, why would you keep him? I was like, I, I don't to eat him. He's like, oh, no, 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 no. Those are sport fish. No, but very few people eat big giant bass. They're nasty. Every once in a while you can eat like a small one. But so I, I'm, I'm kind of learning that stuff. I don't know what's uh, acceptable, what's not, you know. <laughs> I just just know that I had a blast and um, didn't catch any more fish after that. But it's just been fun. Went camping with the, the family this past week, did some fishing with them, watching my daughter. She is four years old and can now cast on her own. She can hook on her own. And now she can, she can actually uh, get a small bluegill off the line by herself. And I'm just pumped that she's learning this and she, she loves it. So there you go. Some fishing stories on the, the hunting podcast. So 
Uh, hopefully, I didn't lose you there. Uh, today, we have a great guest. His name is Connor Dugan, and Connor uh, comes on from Main Meat Collection, and he reached out to me and sent me this email. Uh, and he kind of he teased me. He wrote this long email with this really amazing story, and I got into it. Like I was reading it. He typed it all out, and then all of a sudden, like it's getting to the good part, and he writes, to be continued. I was like, you got to be kidding me. Like, I got to know the end of this. So I just, I wrote him. I said, hey, how about you just come on the podcast and tell the story? And this is a really crazy first buck story from Connor. Um, we get into some of his other hunts and some other things, but it really revolves around this one big hunt that he had this past year. And it's it's really good. I think that you guys are going to like this. So all of that said, um, I really appreciate you guys listening. Uh, real quick plug for our YouTube channel. We did release some new stuff that we had uh, left over from the fall that we just didn't get around to. Um, and we got another video I think we're posting tomorrow. So just go to Shedding Light Outdoors, check that out. And without further ado, we are jumping in. Here is Connor Dugan. Well, joining me all the way from way up in Maine is Connor Dugan. Connor, how are you, man? Good. How are you, man? Oh, wonderful. What's, what's going on in your world? Not much. Uh, we just got done with filming uh, about 28 days of turkey hunting. And, oh, man. Uh, we're into the fly fishing season and, and uh, deer prep. I tell you what, um, in years past, I would have just skimmed right past the fly fishing because that's not really piqued my interest a whole lot. But I've gotten into fishing this year, and I want to ask you, how's the fly fishing going? Like, uh, <laughs> I haven't tried that yet. I'm just now getting into, like, regular old bass fishing. But I tell you, it does interest me a little bit more these days. I saw that uh, that picture you put up of that nice bass you caught on that ribbon tail the other day. That was pretty sweet. Yeah, dude, that's my biggest fish. I, it might actually take me a good while. I feel like it's beginner's luck, and I'm 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 hoping it's not one of those things where it like takes me like another 25 years to catch a fish that big. But it, it very well might. That's a big fish, and a lot of people I show it to, you can just kind of see it in their eyes that they hate me. Um, <laughs> they're like, okay, how long you been bass fishing? Oh, about two weeks. And I caught this, you know, it was all about the pond I was on. So that was around four, four and a half. That was a good fish, man. Yeah, I, I was, I was pretty pumped. So how's, how's fly fishing going? You catching anything yet? So I started fly fishing probably uh, right at the beginning of the spring when it was still almost like a little too cold to get into the water, but I have a, a really, really awesome buddy um will who's awesome at fly fishing he takes me to all his spots under you know sworn secrecy that i <laughs> blindfolded about him but uh i i have a blast with it i kind of have a cheaper rod like an entry level rod and i he, he's a really good teacher i got into it and uh i've been having a blast we have really really good brook trout fishery up here in maine so we've been uh we've been on them heavily for sure uh, that's cool. Now I'm, I'm very new to this. I did actually go fly fishing in college with a buddy. I had no idea what I was doing. Didn't catch anything. Um, is it just primarily trout that you try and fly fish for, or can you use a fly to try and go after anything? Like I said, I'm very naive whenever it comes to this stuff. You can use a fly to go after like anything like there. I, I have buddies who are out right now fly fishing for stripers up here. Cause the stripers just arrived uh, feeding in the mud flats up here in Maine. And uh, low tide, you can go out in the mud flats and catch them on the fly, and it's it's like fourteen minute fights sometimes. It's awesome. Oh man, that's that's what I loved about the bass that I caught. It was probably a, in grand total, it was probably about two minutes, but it felt like a ten minute fight. Like trying to get that, it's just that <laughs> panic of please don't, please don't, please don't hop off the line. I know you're huge. I know you're the biggest fish that I've ever like hooked. <laughs> so uh, there's just something <laughs> that instinct awesome. is like, crazy, huh? Yeah, it's really cool. 
really cool man you have that uh that human instinct or it's like you get a fish on the line it's almost like you take somebody that's never you know tried to shoot a deer before and they yeah. see a deer and it's <laughs> it was man i didn't expect to be excited yeah that's cool now uh, connor have you always lived in maine what's, what's your background a little bit so i originally was born in massachusetts um i lived in one house with my parents and my sister for my whole life and then i went to umaine and uh for college for wildlife ecology came up here and uh just fell in love with it so much and um found a nice Maine girl to settle down with. And I've been here for the last five years. Oh, cool. Very cool. Now, how did you get into uh, hunting? I kind of want to hear, uh, you sent me an email how you and I connected and you kind of started a story and you left me hanging on it. So I want to hear the rest of the story, but before we get to that, just how did, what's, what's your hunting background? So when I was younger, uh, my my parents hunt. My dad got out of the military and uh, ended up working in law enforcement. My mother was a teacher. So not a lot of people in the immediate family right there that, uh, that hunt. My sister is uh, a big animal lover and, and doesn't exactly understand uh, the hunting aspect of it, but she's never given me a hard time about it, which I can really respect about her. But I did have, you know, uncles and cousins that were really big coon hunters and uh, waterfowl guys. So I, I was a, uh, on their laps as a kid, trying to soak up as much information as I could. Got really into the waterfowl scene, probably around 13 and a half, 14. And uh, went on an awesome trip for my first duck hunt to New York, right near Lake Champlain. And uh, we just had a blast. We, we got on them, whacked them. And then when I came back, <laughs> I'm obsessed with it. Just obsessed. I was going all the time. And uh, I have a, a one-year-old lab now that I've been trying to train up. So that's been interesting, but, uh, yeah, I bet. I still love waterfowl to death, man. I, I, I can't get enough of it. Mm. Yeah. That, that does sound like a ton of fun. I think even adding the dog into the mix, you know, having that dog that you're trying to train. So it's not, that's the thing that's almost appealing that what makes me want to get into the duck hunting is, um, you know, you have that animal that you're also working with throughout the year to try and prepare them for the hunt. So it's not just you getting ready. It's also getting your, animal ready for that and that there seems to be some sort of appeal to me for that although I, i'm going to guess those that have been doing it for a long time are like man that's kind of a pain actually <laughs> it definitely is a pain because yeah. it's some of these smart dogs and they're like people man they, they get stubborn some days they want to work some days they don't want to work but when we were in new york we were working with this awesome awesome dog i actually forget his name now it's been so long but he he was one of the best working dogs I've ever seen. It was really, really cool. He did, he did audible signals too. So when he would get lost going after a crippled duck, they'd blow the whistle and they'd give him directions like back, left, right. And the dog would go find the crippled duck. He was awesome. Oh, that is awesome. Oh, that's cool. That's something I definitely want to try at some point. I, it's just, uh, I think there'd be a lot of appeal to that. So besides fishing, now you mentioned Turkey. Um, what other, I mean, just looking at, uh, tell me real quick, I want to take a break in the action. Uh, your Instagram is called Maine Meat Collection. So can you explain that a little bit? What is Maine Meat Collection? So Maine Meat Collection is something that I, you know, is something that I kind of dreamed up um, right after this deer season. So it was like four or five months ago, I had this idea and I was like, you know, I'm a novice in a lot of a lot of these different aspects of hunting that I haven't done before. Uh, you know, and to a lot of people, I'm probably still a novice in, in waterfowl. These people that have been out all the time or, you know, dedicate their whole season to it. Mm -hmm. 
like, uh, you know, I'm surrounded by a great group of guys that I went to school with and that I've become really close with that are extremely proficient hunters. And I was like, uh, I would love to go out and film and document myself learning how to do these things and having these hunts uh, successful or not. So yeah, that's kind of how that, uh, that little brain baby went into fruition. And uh, we started an Instagram and it, it picked up a little bit of traction uh, in the last four or five months. We were happy with that. And so we started a little YouTube channel that went along with it. And we've been having a blast, man. Oh, very cool. I just, uh, just subscribed. I just checked out mainly. I was wondering if you were on YouTube too. So that's cool. So yep. kind of looking through your Instagram, it looks like you guys, it's not, it is the name, main meat collection. There's all kinds of critters on there. So besides, you know, deer, we'll get to that. Um, you know, and ducks, what else do you chase? So, uh, turkey, deer, ducks, Tyson, um, his girlfriend and his brother, they bear hunt. My, uh, my other buddy at home, uh, Austin in Connecticut, he's a phenomenal turkey hunter. His family's phenomenal uh, turkey hunters. Uh, they've done moose, they've done uh, snow geese, they've, they've done a bunch of stuff. So it's kind of all aspects. At, right when the pandemic hit, I'm sure me as well as everybody else, you realized how high meat prices were and how scarce it was to find food in the grocery store. And uh, I was real happy to have all that deer meat in the freezer from this year. And mm-hmm. that's, that's when I started to get on that trend. I was like, hey, man, like, let's let's start an Instagram and a YouTube here and uh, something people can relate to going out and actually harvesting our food and not just looking for, you know, the biggest buck and passing on all these deer that, you know, everybody gets frustrated and yelling at the TV because that guy on TV keeps on passing those bucks that you'd love to have a shot at. Absolutely. I was like, hey, let's uh, let's get out there and let's start filling the freezer and let's see what what happens on the video camera. So we've been doing a lot of trout fishing. I've actually had to, you know, stop harvesting so many trout. Uh, I've been letting a lot of them go as of recent. <laughs> That's There's awesome. a trout right now. <laughs> That's a good problem. To ha- hey, I tell you what, I would take some, you know, fresh caught Maine trout. So if you want to catch a few more, maybe we can, we can work <laughs> something out. <laughs> Mail them over. <laughs> yeah, just shipping them in an envelope. I won't tell my wife. <laughs> That's awesome, man. I, you know, that, I, I remember that. I remember, you know, that little scare that kind of came up for a lot of people. Like you go to the store, grocery store and there's just hardly any meat on the shelf. And I was shocked at that. I, I don't know why, but just going down through the aisles, I mean, people just freaking out over that sort of thing. And I just remember looking at my wife saying, man, I'm very grateful for the deer that's on our, you know, in our freezer. We also do some canning. So we have canned deer. So felt very blessed. In fact, I even talked to my neighbors about, Hey, if anybody ever gets short on anything, just let me know because that's something that I'm very happy about. I mean, I, I think that, I think, I think that's maybe part of why the hunting numbers have gone up quite a bit is I think a lot of people start to realize, Oh shoot, what happens if <laughs> this happens again? You know, am I prepared? For sure. For sure. That was definitely a big part around it and being bored in the house. I think a lot of people have been getting out in the outdoors, which is awesome. I've been seeing a lot more people out there and, uh, I'm not one of those people that that gets frustrated with seeing a lot of people on the river or anything. I, I'm excited that, you know, people are out there having fun like I am. But again, you know, I'm super blessed to have the friends that I have. <clears throat> I had friends give me bear meat this year. And, you know, whoever tells you that bear meat does not taste good does not know how to cook bear because even my girlfriend who's never, you know, been a big uh, game eater. She's all over that bear meat. It's best burger she's ever had in her life. She loves it. Oh, that's cool. I don't know if I've ever had that. That's awesome. Huh. It's amazing. Great meat. You should try it. Yeah. Well, Connor, 
uh, bring us through some of your, your, your hunting stories, your experiences. And if you want to go straight <laughs> to the one that you started to tell me the other day, that's cool. Or if you have some others up your sleeve, but I just want to hear some of your experiences. Maine hunting is almost like, uh, it's like hunting in a different country. I don't know what it's like to hunt up there and, and kind of be in your neck of the woods. So kind of bring us through some of your, your favorite experiences. Um, well, I would say, uh, one of the quick stories that is super interesting and, and, uh, definitely a different story that I would think would be kind of, um, not necessarily unique to just this area, but new England, we have these zones up here called the expanded zones and an expanded zone is only archery is allowed because normally it's very residential okay. and them are, are land trusts. So when the land gets sold to the state of Maine, um, the state of Maine has to put them in a trust that allows hunting. So it doesn't matter the, if the state agrees or disagrees with hunting, which obviously Maine is a pretty pro hunting state, but they'll put this land in trust. And uh, essentially all you have to do is uh, email somebody. Um, everybody gets permission because they want the deer numbers to go, go down in these residential areas. And you can go in there and bow hunt them. And some of these areas have really, really big bucks that people overlook because they're just hiding in people's backyards. So um, my buddy who actually gave me the bear meat, great guy. He was like, Hey, you know, I, I have these deer down this expanded zone. You should get your expanded license, grab your bow and we should head out. And I was like, awesome. So I got my license. I drove about an hour and a half North met him in this expanded zone, which is like right, right behind a home Depot, like crazy, crazy <laughs> close to these houses. And uh, we slip in there and he's like, uh, it's, it's real early in the morning. There's snow on the ground. I had, I had already shot my deer that year, but in Maine, you're only allowed one buck tag um, and you have to put in for your doe tag. But the good news is an expanded, you get an either sex tag, that's $10. And then you can have as many doe tags as you want. As soon as you fill it, you should pay another $5. You get another. Okay. So we walk over to this ro uh, row of trees as we're walking in before first light. And he goes, Hey, I'm going to pop off here, man. Uh, we're going to split up. Uh, continue down the trail and, and find your own spot. I said, okay. So he dumps into the woods. I continue down. I ended up about 300 yards away from him in this area that I thought looked pretty good for bedding. And I found this, this really big track. And I was like, okay, I'm, I'm going to sit off of this a little bit, sat off of that track just a little bit. Uh, he was like, we're going to meet back up at, at nine 30. So I got kind of kind of bored sitting there in the snow. Uh, we didn't have saddles or anything with us at the time. So I, I got a little bored and started following this track, ended up taking myself on a huge loop, got back at the rendezvous point at nine 30. And my buddy isn't where we were meeting him. He's actually closer to where I was sitting. And I, I walk over to him and I'm like, Hey, what's up, man. He's just staring at the ground. And I was like, are you okay? And he points right at my track where I walked into my spot and he goes, was this here? When you walked in and I looked down in my track and there is just a massive buck track right in my footstep going perpendicular in the opposite direction that I came in. And I said, that was definitely not there. So this, uh, this huge buck that we had actually had on camera that we named Herbert, <laughs> who <laughs> he, he has a track that's almost the size of my hand. And we call him a toe dragger because he drags one of his back legs just a little bit in the snow. You can always tell it's him. And Tyson's been hunting him, I think, for two to three years now. And a, a bunch of people in this area have pictures of him. They've never shot him or even seen him on the hoof. And so we started sprinting down that track, um, tr trying to get after him. 
And uh, we ended up having no luck, but it was, it was the craziest thing. Tyson set up, you know, 300 yards from me and this buck just split us right down the middle. And mm. I absolutely could not believe it. <laughs> I'm, I'm looking at this track and biggest deer track. <laughs> <laughs> if I just sat where I was sitting, I would have had a shot at him. But instead, he walked right in my track, and we never got a look. But oh man, isn't that the way it goes? Like that, that I was find a that, crazy morning. <laughs> yeah, I find that in turkey hunting quite a bit. Like you're in a spot, you move, and then next thing you know, like with deer, unless they leave the track, you'd never know. But with with turkeys, they gobble in the spot where you just were like a half hour ago. You're like, are you kidding me? <laughs> it's such a, just, <laughs> such a frustrating experience. There's oh, some man. signs to back that up with the with the turkey gobbling from uh, the location you were just sitting. Sometimes it takes them a couple hours to get to it because they're henned up. But yeah, like this crazy GPS in their head and they hear calls sometimes and they can bank them and then show up later to that call when they're not henned up anymore after they split. Yeah. So sometimes it's worth it just to sit there and wait it out, you know? Yeah. Absolutely. Well, man, that's crazy. So t- speaking of turkeys, I did want to ask, how did turkey season go for you? Did you have any luck this year? So I got a double. Um, we did a We did a trip from Maine uh, to Connecticut to Massachusetts. So we did this, we called it the roosted tour. And we did this little trip where um, we had my buddy who was running a camera. And then we had, um, my other buddy who, who uh, he lives in Connecticut and then obviously my parents live in Massachusetts. So we did a little, uh, a little road trip where we hunted all three States and I was fortunate enough to get on uh, a few birds with their help and his family's help. And I, I got a double when I was in Connecticut. Um, when we came back up to Maine on opening day, we got one in Maine. I didn't shoot that bird. Um, and then I believe Austin shot one in Maine as well. Um, and then in Massachusetts, we got the slip put on us. But uh, those videos are starting to trickle out. I think every Sunday at four, one of those one of those uh, turkey videos is is coming oh, out. Oh, cool! I'll have to it check that out. Awesome. It was it was three a.m. mornings for about a month there, and I got pretty worn out. So I'm I'm a little over the turkeys at this point. I'm ready for deer season, man. <laughs> I feel the same way, man. By the time turkey season's over, I, I start thinking about deer and I start, you know, you kind of get out there and you start scouting. You almost turns into more scouting than it is turkey hunting by the end of it, you know. Yeah, absolutely. You're, you hear a goblin, you're like, ah, we'll get to him. Yeah, later on. <laughs> <laughs> well, speaking of deer, let's go ahead and jump into it. I, I uh, You started to kind of type this uh, email out, tell me a little bit about this story, and it sounds like a pretty epic story. So our listeners haven't heard anything about it. So let's go back to the beginning. Tell us about how your deer season began this year and, and what kind of led up to what happened. So I was finishing my last college semester and I had actually just got done taking a test and I went over to my neighbor's house who I'm pretty close with and I was sitting down on his, uh, his couch kind of scrolling through social media as you do when you're bored. And uh, one of these pictures that came up from somebody that I'm very, very close with actually one of the guys that I, I went to Connecticut with. It's his family that lives in Connecticut. Um, I, I scrolled and hit this photo of the biggest deer I have ever seen in my entire life. <laughs> and I, I quickly <laughs> messaged him before I even knew what I was doing. I just, you know, just hopped right into the DM and just started messaging him, which was weird because I have his number. I could have called him or texted him, but I, <laughs> I started messaging him and I was like, Hey man, this is an awesome deer. I would love for you to tell me this story. Also, can you take me hunting with you? I would love to go deer hunting. 
And um, to my surprise, he answered me right away and was like, dude, I would love to take you deer hunting. And you don't get a lot of people up here who fill their buck tag that want to go out every morning and still wake up early and take you out and go freeze in the, in the main woods. So I was super appreciative of that. He was like, yeah, this weekend I'm actually free, man. So, so why don't you come down to my house? Um, I was like, awesome. I'll be there. I don't think I slept a half hour that night. The, uh, the night before I was actually going to go up to his house. I stayed up all night. Couldn't fall asleep at all. Didn't want to sleep through it. So I stayed up. I had about an hour and 20 minute drive to his house. Um, I left at 3.30 or 4 o'clock in the morning. I got to his house. He was waiting for me. I walked inside and he was like, you ready to go, man? And I was like, you have no idea. I didn't sleep at all last night. I am so excited. So we go out and we sat. Um, and when we walked in, we actually found this huge scrape um, that was brand new. He, he hadn't seen it when he shot his deer. So he was like, Hey, we'll set up to the side of this. And you know, this is a pretty good spot. I've seen a lot of deer in here. I was bow hunting in here. I was like, awesome. I'm like you tell me what to do and I will blindly listen to you. <laughs> so we set up on this scrape. Um, I should mention this is also main rifle season. So this is right around uh, November 11th ish. And so we set up on the scrape and we had a doe come in at around 60 yards behind us. She didn't spook or anything. She just kind of fed into the back um, of these properties that kind of went up this hill. So we did this for about three days doing morning and night sits. And then I came back the next weekend and did the same thing. We saw a lot of does. We did not have a chance at any bucks. Um, but being how interested and in how new everything was, I, I wasn't frustrated or discouraged at all. It just made me really want to go out and find a buck even more. Mm -hmm. So fast forward to about a, a week later, I'm scrolling through Instagram at my neighbor's house again. And uh, I come up on another picture of another huge eight point. And here in Maine, I know that in a lot of other States, I'm sure where you're from, a lot of people talk about, Oh, you know, this deer was real wide or this deer was real tall, or you should see the mass on his, on his rack. In Maine, I would say the most common thing that people bring up is weight and mm. dressed weight, not on the hoof. So yeah. ask somebody, hey, how big was your buck? And they say, oh, I shot a big buck. And you say, oh, how much did it weigh? And if he says anything over 200 dressed, that's, that's a giant. Wow. Yeah, <laughs> so that's cool. One of my buddies, uh, the first one that I had actually originally messaged, he shot a 203 dressed eight point this year and that that was giant and so i was scrolling through instagram again and my buddy who uh, does all the bear hunting and stuff i come up on a picture of him with this giant wide eight point and i was like hey man would you would you want to go hunting and he was like absolutely i still have a doe tag left you can meet me this weekend and i was like what is with these guys everybody's willing to take me out that's awesome he was like, meet me at this public land spot, which is actually a mountain that's only 50 minutes from me. And he was like, uh, meet me here on Saturday. I was like, awesome. I'll be there. So Saturday rolls around. Uh, I get to the mountain and right before you get to the mountain, I would say about two miles, mile and a half outside of the mountain, you lose all cell service. So now I have no directions. I've never been there before. It's pitch dark outside. And I can't call him or anybody for that matter. I have no bars, no LT, nothing. So I'm kind of cruising these 
roads in the dark trying to find the entrance to this dirt road that goes up this mountain. Oh, man. I finally found it. And uh, I roll up into it. Still no service. And there's like a parking area at the bottom of the mountain. And then there's roads that go up. And I look in the parking area and I don't see his truck. And he told me he was going to beat me there. So what's the dumb thing I decided to do? Oh, I'm just going to take this car that definitely shouldn't be driving up this mountain and start driving these mountain roads. So I start driving these mountain roads and uh, about, you know, 15 minutes later, and I'm starting to get a little frustrated here and a little lost. I see these headlights coming at me down this tiny little trail that I definitely shouldn't have my car on. And I go nose to nose with this truck and I roll down my window and it's my buddy. <laughs> and he goes, he, he's all business at this, this point. I'm, I'm so excited to see him. I haven't seen him in a couple of months. I'm like, how are you, man? And he just goes, turn around, follow me. We're going to park your car over here. So <laughs> I followed him, parked my car, hop in the truck, and he just starts driving up these mountain roads. And he goes, uh, there's going to be a lot of people hunting this mountain today. There's already a bunch of people here. We need to get in here. So it's well before shooting hours at this point. And he gets up, I would say three quarter, maybe halfway up this mountain. And he pulls into this little cutout off this, off this trail, which is, it's almost looks like it's made for a parking area, but uh, essentially it's just a little bit of grass outside of the woods of this, of this mountain. So we hop out, um, put scent killer on. Uh, he checks my gun. He's like, all right, that'll work. Loads his gun up and starts walking up the mountain. So I, I follow him. I'm right on his heels. I'm like, Hey man, you tell me exactly what you want me to do and I'll do it. So I start following up this mountain. We get, you know, 800, 900 yards up this mountain. And then we hit a bench. So we take a right onto this bench and we sit down. He goes, Hey, we're just going to let the light come up a little bit and we're going to call. So we sat there for a little amount of time, kind of whispering to each other, uh, catching up a little bit in the dark. And he does a little grunting sequence right as the light starts coming up. And then about 10, 12 minutes later, around the side of this bench, so which would actually go around the top of this mountain, we hear the leaves rustling and we get real quiet, real still. You know, the heart rate jumps up. We start getting the nerves a little bit. And uh, a doe blows at us. And he's like, crap, dude, a doe just blew at us. And so we give her another, you know, 10, 15 minutes and he goes, all right, let's move. So we follow this bench alongside uh, this mountain. And then he's like, all right, we're going to go over the top. So we go over the top and we drop down. And when I mean, we drop down into an, an oak forest. I mean, an oak forest, <laughs> maybe the most beautiful uh, stand of oak I have ever seen. It's obviously managed very well. They're all around the same size. Um, and then there's like clear cuts that are below the oaks that, uh, the state had made for woodcock because woodcock conservation is pretty big here in Maine. So we sit down and he starts doing another grunting sequence and we're sitting on the, just a little bit above the next bench. That's on the other side of this mountain on a ridge uh -huh. looking down at these Oak flats. And so we sit there for a good amount of time, kind of whispering to each other, catching up still. And he's like, all right, let's drop down. I have a spot that I want to go to. Um, he's not, he will hunt in tree stands, but yeah. he likes to move when he rifle hunts, which here in Maine, especially if you're in snow, a lot of guys like to stay on the foot and try to go with a DRR instead of waiting for them to come to you. So we walked down this ridge and hit this other bench right in these oak flats. And uh, 
I pointed down at a scrape that I had seen and I said, that looks pretty fresh. And he looks down in the leaves and he goes, Oh man. And we walk over to the edge of this thing, this big, big old scrape that all the leaves were tore up. It was, it was right down into the ground. And I reached into the ground and squeezed it. And you could see the moisture come out of my hand, how fresh the urine was in this scrape. Oh, wow. And I, I was like, dude. And he just looked at me and was like, dude. So he's like, let's go, let's go. So he, the leaf cover was so thick on this bench that you could almost see where this deer had continued to walk down this bench. So we start walking down those tracks um, at a decently brisk pace, yeah, but not flying or anything. Just, just trying to keep a cadence that would sound like a deer was kind of walking through the leaves, trying to, trying to sound uh, like a deer. So that way we wouldn't jump anything up. And as we're walking across this bench, he proceeds to tell me about this ginormous deer that his brother had seen in this exact spot uh, the day before at I think it was 15 yards and his brother had already shot his buck for that year. So he couldn't shoot him and he stopped him and everything at 15 yards had a perfect shot at him and obviously couldn't shoot him, but he described him as a bone white rack around 16 points with trash everywhere. And Mm. we were like, Oh wow. So now my heart's jumping out of my chest (laughs) and following my buddy along this bench And we get to this point where there's kind of a little trail going down the mountain. And right as we're cutting the right, um, he goes, Hey, I don't think we're going to, we're going to catch up to this deer. Let's head down towards this, uh, this swamp area that I've had some action at. So I said, sounds good, man. So we take this right. And I look down to my right, um, right next to these oaks and these very open oaks. And you, you wouldn't assume that deer would bed right there. I saw three beds that were all touching each other right there. And I said, Hey man, like these look like deer beds. And he goes, they definitely are. I was like three deer. And he was like, Oh, it's probably three does or a buck and two does, you know, hanging out together. And I'm like, this is pretty open. He was like, yeah, the rut makes them do crazy things. So this day was actually November 21st. So the rut in Maine is in full effect at this point. Mm -hmm. So we start walking down um, the backside of this Ridge and we get about 20, 25 yards away from where those beds were at that bench. And we hear boom, 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 crash, snap. And we both turn around and look up to exactly where we were just standing and looking at these beds. And a doe comes from the right side, which is not where we were running in the direction where we just came from. And with a nose right up her rear end is that giant trashy bone white huge buck Mm. right up him (laughs) we thought was a six pointer and all of them were running right where we just came like if we had just kept sitting on that bench we would have shot this buck like no problem (laughs) and i'm thinking oh we must have just blown them out like we must have just spooked them and so they took off and i didn't know that much about deer hunting at this point and i thought it was over i was like oh shoot in my head Tyson shoves me in my back and goes move like not being quiet or anything just shoves me right in my back forward back up the mountain and goes move so we start running and I mean running back up this mountain and we get back up to where they just ran and where we had just been standing 30 seconds before they ran across 
and he starts kicking leaves and grunting as hard as he can and thrashing brush. And I'm just standing there having a full panic attack. because <laughs> I don't know what's going on. And I'm thinking, you know, there's, there's no way this is going to work. You're, you're kicking all these leaves and breaking this brush and grunting. And they clearly saw us. We were 20, 25 yards away from them. And all we can see in the distance to our left is that huge rack running through these oaks. And Tyson goes, shoot. And I said, I don't, I don't have a shot at him, man. He, he's, he's too far. He's weaving in and out. And he goes, come on, shoot him. And I said, I don't have a good shot. So we kind of quiet down, simmer down a little bit. And Tyson keeps kicking leaves and grunting. And I, I have my gun in my hand at this point. It's not slung. And uh, I'm standing there and right in front of us, right above this bench that we were walking on is all these saplings, like fir saplings, very, very thick. Um, and all of a sudden, bursting out of these saplings is what we thought was this basket six-pointer. And he comes flying through and... I'm not sure how many people are listening to this that have dogs, but that look that your dog gives you when it gets real surprised and it takes its feet to try to stop, that's what this deer did. He flying out, he saw us, and he dug his front hooves right into the ground. It looked like he was on ice. He was slipping all over the place. Oh, man. He was right at like 10, 15 yards. He ran right into us. And he came bursting out of these saplings. His eyes got huge. He looked me right in my soul. His eyes got huge and dug his feet right into the ground. And so now Tyson and I are both standing there with our jaws on the ground. Like, I, I can't believe that just happened. And this deer turns, runs back into these saplings and turns broadside right at like 20, 25 yards. And just oh, looks wow. like, a, like a deer that had no idea what people were. Like, he was looking at us, trying to figure out what we were, sizing us up from this distance. And I lift my gun up and it's so thick and dark in there that I can see his head. And I can see his body, um, but there's something covering right in front of his front leg. But mm. I, I, can, I can slip a shot behind this leg, no problem. So Tyson, go shoot him. So I lifted my gun up. Deer's still kind of peeking around these saplings, trying to figure out who we are. And I, I cracked one off. And when I cracked my first shot off, it was like I thought I rocked him right in the pump house. I mean, he, he looked like he was going to fall over right there. He took a couple like shuffle steps and like, didn't run away. He like kind of did like a, a 180. So he was like facing us a little bit and Tyson goes shoot him again. So he, he, the deer goes to turn and he turns broadside the other way. So now he's facing right. And I, I cracked a second shot off and then the deer almost falls down the embankment right there, but he regains his balance and goes to run up into this clear cut that's up on this bench. And I said, go shoot him again. So I, I shot again. And this time his back legs come out from underneath him. He slips down about like one, two feet, gets his feet back under him, takes up off this little 10 foot um, embankment in the saplings, ends up on another bench above us, which is a clear cut, and then goes to the right and disappears out of view. And I, I couldn't believe what just happened. I, di I didn't have time to get nervous. I didn't have time to get shaky. I didn't have time to really even think about what happened that that whole moment is a little blurry. Yeah. <laughs> I'm shooting a 35 Remington um, lever action. So th this gun, it'll bang your shoulder a little bit. Yeah. And I didn't, I didn't feel the recoil. I didn't feel anything. So right after this happened, you know, my breath starts to get a little shallow and all of it starts to sink in and, and Tyson looks at me and he goes, 
you didn't even feel the recoil, did you? <laughs> I said, I did not. So uh, he goes, I, I think you rocked him, man. I, I, we'll, give him, we'll give him an hour and we'll go up there. And I bet you he's laying less than 100 yards dead. It's amazing how in that moment, that adrenaline kick, like sighting in a gun, that always just, you hear, you hear the shot, you feel the shot a lot of times. But something about staring an animal down, that adrenaline kick, you don't – I mean, you get hit by a, a bowling ball, and it's like you just don't feel it. It's amazing, that experience. Especially when the steer's like – he almost ran into us. You know? Yeah, yeah. He was looking me in my soul. I felt like I could have reached out and poked him with the barrel of my gun. He was right there. So <laughs> it got, it got kind of intense for me there. And yeah. So uh, we're standing there, and uh, we're kind of – we're kind of shooting it with each other. You know what I mean? Just talking in our normal voices at this point. We're like, wow, I mean, that was crazy. And we're going back over it. And Tyson's like, I, I saw him. He almost fell down three times, man. You, you rocked him. You hit him right in the pump house. You rocked him. So I'm, I'm getting hyped up. I'm getting excited. And uh, Tyson has a doe tag at this point. So it's keep that in mind for the story. So uh, we're standing there and uh, about, you know, five minutes has gone by since I took these three shots. And we're standing right where those deer beds were and right above us is that trail. And then right behind that trail is those saplings where I shot that deer. All of a sudden, right to our left, out of nowhere, this same doe comes ripping by at 10 yards. <laughs> oh my gosh. Except she's going the other way. She's going back where she came from. This time, no big buck with her. And she is running Mach 10. I mean, full out like a greyhound. And she blows right past us at 10 yards going the same direction. Tyson picks his gun up, puts the on her, and then puts his gun back down. And I said, what are you doing, man? You could have just rolled her right there. And he goes, yeah, man, but you just shot your first buck. And uh, I don't want to mess up your blood trail. And I was like, wow. Like, I at that point, it started to really sink in that, you know, I have some awesome, awesome friends. Yeah. Man, that's I, cool. I, couldn't, I couldn't believe he didn't roll that. Oh, I mean, I could have tackled her. <laughs> I straight up NFL tackled this deer. She was so close. And um, so he, he lets her run off. We wait an hour and we head up into this kind of clear cut deadfall area where my deer had gone up the embankment and then cut right. And we get up there and I don't see any blood. So I go back down to where I shot him in the saplings and right where he was standing, I shot him in the saplings. I mean, there's blood everywhere. So now that I've, picked up where the blood trail starts it becomes very evident where it is throughout the deadfall clear-cut area so it's super easy to pick up on and as soon as we jump into this deadfall clear-cut area it looks like someone took like went to home depot bought red paint and just dumped it all over the leaves i mean i'm talking a three foot wide red carpet for 75 yards mm -hmm. i'm like oh this is real good <laughs> Yeah, this is really good, man. Like this deer is going to be piled up right here. So we follow this blood trail, follow this blood trail. We get about 30 yards down the blood trail and there's a big bed. Like he bedded down, uh, I'm assuming to die. Like he, he was, he was bedding down to die. And this bed is like covered in wet blood still. And Tyson's like, that's not good. And I'm like, what do you mean? And he goes, well, we might've jumped them out of this. Mm. I'm, I'm starting to think, oh, no, like we we might have came in here a little too early. We had waited a full hour. We didn't get too overzealous or anything, but uh, I'm starting to get a little scared. So we, we follow the blood after the bed. 
We get another 25, 30 yards, and all of a sudden, zap, dried up, nothing. And I couldn't believe it. I was, I was like, it, I don't even know how a deer has that much blood in his body. Like, that 75 yards, I, I could have followed that in the dark with a pin light, and it would have been no problem. And all of a sudden, after that bed, 25, 30 yards after that bed, I mean, nothing. So we start crawling around on our hands and knees, you know, all frantically looking for pin drops. And I just find this big old snot clot hanging from a pine tree real low where he had kind of like brushed by as he was running. And I said, hey, like Tyson, you're going to want to come look at this. And he comes and he looks and he goes, oh, this is not good, man. He's plotting up. And, and there's this, you know, just this big booger of a, a clot hanging off of this tree. And he's like, uh, I don't want to get our scent in here too much. We need to back out of here. So we back out, we go uh, back over the top of the mountain, back down, and then to his truck. And uh, he goes, listen, we got a couple of options. Yesterday when I was at this mountain, uh, I shot a doe. And he goes, it's the first time in my life that uh, I, I didn't find a doe. And he goes, that I shot. So I, I called a, a blood tracking dog. And here in the state of Maine, we have the United Blood Trackers. And that's completely legal here. As long as the, the dog is leashed, it's completely mm-hmm. And all of those trackers are a volunteer program. They don't come for money. They come for experience and they come for the love of what they're doing. So um, you don't have to pay them, but everybody obviously tips them uh, pretty heavily. They get paid very well. So he's like, we can call the dog, the same lady that I had here yesterday looking for my dough. And he goes, and she's awesome. He goes, or we can wait until tomorrow. We can come back. We can grid search it. And I said, let's call the dog. So we call her. She tells us that she's already done three tracks that day. Mind you, it's 930 in the morning. <laughs> and uh, we're like, wow. And she goes, uh, can you tell me a little bit about the deer? So we tell her the story and she goes right over the phone. I mean, just from what we told her, what the blood looked like, there were no bone fragments, nothing. She goes, uh, I'll be there right before dark. And you, sh- you, you shot him in the leg. And so Tyson hangs up the phone and I'm like, she doesn't know what she's talking about, man. Shot him in the leg. Like we're telling her over the phone. She has no idea what's going on. So Mm. we spend the rest of the day sitting in that truck. And I'll tell you what, not finding that deer was a low of lows after that. And I was in a real low Valley. And I mean, the anticipation and anxiety sitting there for hours and hours waiting for dark to fall so that she can show up. And, um, well, we were sitting on this road. You want to talk about pressured, man. I mean, there, there must've been 25 trucks that, or cars that drove past us. Well, mm. sitting there on the, on the tailgate, I couldn't believe it. I'm at the end of the day, I think we, I tallied between the parking lots that there were over 70 hunters on that mountain that day. Wow. That's was, a crazy, it was, crazy. It was crazy. So she shows up with the dog. She hops out and uh, she opens up the back of her car and this tiny little wired haired dachshund hops out. And I'm like, where's the doc? <laughs> she's like, she's like, this is the dog. I'm like, this, this is the blood dog. She's like, yep. And she's got two of them back there. And she's like, I'm going to leave this one. He's already, he's already done four tracks today. I'm, I'm going to leave him in the crate. So she grabs the young one. I said, I said, how old is that dog? She said, 11 months old. I said, that dog's 11 months old. He's a puppy. And she goes, yep. And I was like, how many tracks that dog done? And she goes, um, 30 successful finds this year. 
I said, 30 successful finds, an 11-month-old dog. She goes, the best dog I've ever had in my life. Wow. So she, she starts hiking up the mountain with us, um, and she tells me, you know, you can, you can leave your gun loaded right now, but as soon as it gets dark, I'm going to tell you to unload your gun. And because she's a blood tracker and a guide, she's allowed to finish deer off at night. So she has a gun with her. Um, as soon as, you know, shooting light is over, she's going to tell me to unload my gun. So we start hiking up this mountain. It's, it's a little bit of a hike up there. I mean, for people that are out West or anything, it would sound like a cakewalk, but we're going up this ridge. Um, kind of the same way we went first thing in the day, except we don't hit that bench. We just go right over the top. And yeah. she tells us as we're going up, you know, I have asthma and, you know, this, this might get a little hard for me in a second here. So I might hand you my dog. And I said, cause we're carrying him. The dog doesn't walk on his own until we get to the blood. So I said, you, you can hand me him. So she hands me this dog. So now I'm carrying this, this wired haired dachshund up the top of the mountain. And this dog is not happy that he's in my hands. He knows he's going on a blood track and he's losing his mind. And so I'm just trying to contain him in my arms. We get over the top of this mountain. We get down to where first blood is. And she goes, all right, put him down. I give him, give her the leash. And she starts looking at the blood and she goes, that's uh, a leg hit. And I said, how do you, how do you know that? Like, it's just blood. There's no bone fragment. She goes, trust me, it's a leg hit. So now I'm really thinking this lady doesn't know what she's talking about. I'm like, I <laughs> started a question. I'm like, you weren't even there. Like, how do you know it was a leg hit? I, like he almost fell over. We, I thought I whacked him and uh, she gets the last blood and this dog takes off like crazy. I mean, does, like, he has his nose on the ground for like 10 yards and then he just starts running. So we're, running after her we get another hundred yards down uh this ridge on the back side of the mountain and the dog stops and as we were walking every time the dog would stop she'd pull off a little piece of this orange flagging and she'd tie it around the closest thing that was there um to to mark where she found a blood spotter where the dog alerted on on deer scent so right where this dog stopped about a hundred yards from last blood there was this tiny little pin drop on a leaf that was red and this dog was just locked on this this tiny little drop and i i couldn't i couldn't believe this dog found this i was so impressed at this point i was like maybe this lady does know what she's talking about <laughs> so um she she turns around and she kind of gives us the briefing she goes hey guys like i just want to let you know this is how this is going to go um if this deer is still alive and we bump him and we open him back up we're going to get him so if he starts bleeding again, we're going to get this deer. Trust me. She goes, but if we bump him up and he doesn't start bleeding again, it's not a fatal hit. And I will tell you with hundred percent certainty, this deer is going to survive. And I, I said, okay, I trust you. So we start dropping down this Ridge a little bit more. And uh, I asked her, I said, what does this dog alert on? Like, is, is he actually trying to follow blood? Like how does he differentiate from like other deer that have run through this area? And she was like, oh, he mostly alerts on the smell of adrenaline. He follows blood, but he can smell adrenaline in the leaves and in the blood. And that's how he knows which deer he's supposed to be tracking. So I was like, wow, this is like super interesting. I wish I had a camera with me now. So it's starting to get kind of dark at this point. And she turns to me and she goes, okay, you can unload your gun. So I unload my gun. It's about five minutes before shooting light ends. And right in this swamp, as we're coming down, I just see a little bit of orange, um, between these trees and I'm like hey like I think there's a hunter down there and she was like well what do you want to do do you do you want to 
do you want to keep going or do you want do you want to quit so we don't ruin this guy's hunt and i was like well um your dog's kind of trying to work out this blood trail right now he's he's not booking down it anymore and i was like maybe we should just wait a couple of minutes because you know i really don't want to have this guy mad at us she was like okay but this guy had already seen us up the ridge at this point. So he starts standing up. So I'm like, all right, let's go. So at least we'll go down there and talk to him because that's the way the dog's going anyway. So we get down there right in, right behind where this guy was sitting. And he's he's got like a seven-year-old kid with him, right? So now I'm feeling extra bad. And you can see that this guy is super bummed out. And I'm like, hey, man, like I'm, I'm super sorry. And at this point, all of a sudden, the dog starts going berserk and starts taking off on a rope, like running in a straight line behind where this guy was sitting. And I'm like, we got a dog on a blood trail right now. I shot a deer earlier this morning. Like, I'm super sorry I ruined your hunt. And he was super dejected. And then he goes, wait, you guys are blood trailing a deer right now? And I said, yeah. And he goes, can my son and I follow you guys? And I'm like, sure, dude, the more the merrier. So <laughs> he hops in line with us. And we're all running behind this woman and her dog, <laughs> this tiny little wire hair dog. And uh, we get to this giant patch of spruce trees. Uh, it's real thick. I mean, so thick that you can't step through it. You got to get down on your knees and, and crawl to get in between these trees. They're so tight together. And right before the dog takes a step into it, she looks back at me with her headlamp on and goes, your deer is in here. I said, how do you know? There's no blood right here. We don't see any tracks. And she goes, trust me, your deer's in this thicket. She takes one step into the thicket and you hear crash out the back end just bang, bang, bang out the back end. She's like, there he is. And so at this point, I think this woman is a wizard. I think that she has some black magic <laughs> that I don't know about. I have no idea how she knew that that deer was in there or how she knew any of the stuff that she knew, but she did. And yeah. I mean, I'm ready to give this woman my wallet. I'm ready to just give her the debit card and just take it all. So we, we start crawling through this thicket and we end, come out the back end and when we come out the back end, all the trees right there um, that are where the dog is running are just smeared with blood. And she's like, she looks back at me with her headlamp and she goes, we're going to get him now. And so now I'm now I'm real jacked up and this dog starts sprinting. And I don't mean like as fast as you think a dachshund can run. I mean, like fast for any dog. <laughs> this dog is running up the other side of this mountain because we were kind of in a valley. and. So now I'm sprinting after her and this dog and my buddy Tyson's running up behind me. And this guy that we busted out of his hunts running up behind Tyson with a seven-year-old kid. And we're, I mean, full out sprinting up this mountain in the dark with our headlamps, trying to dodge trees, weaving in and out, like falling over deadfalls. Like it was crazy. I'll never forget this moment in my entire life. And we come around this corner and I can't see anything because she turns and puts her headlamp back in my face. And this time her dog is in her hands. Like she had picked the dog up and she goes, hold my dog and jams the dog into my buddy's chest. And she goes, he's going to bite you. Don't let him go. Which is never a reassuring thing. to do. Oh gosh. <laughs> so my buddy Tyson's holding this dog and trying to cover his eyes. And the dog's like losing his mind, biting his hand, going crazy. And I see her turn back around and her headlamp hits my deer and it's laying there with its head against a tree. And it looks dead as a doornail. Like it looks like we just ran him another hundred yards. And he was just like, he, it was just enough to just put him down. And uh, she walks up, gets about, you know, 10 yards from him. And 
she tries to make a little bit of noise and he doesn't move and he's not breathing. And so she takes one step closer and she sees kind of a flinch. So it's now nighttime at this point. I can't shoot. She pulls out um, the weapon that she uses to dispatch, which is a, a revolver. And she shoots this deer right in the lungs. And I'm like, oh my God, we did it. And I turn around, <laughs> Tyson's got the biggest grin on his face. He's holding the dog. The dog's biting his hand still. And he's just, he's just beaming. I couldn't get the smile off my face. We're hugging each other. The dog's biting us in between while we're hugging over the dog. And uh, she goes, yeah, right, you can put my dog down now. So we put the dog down. Dog runs over to the deer and just starts going to town on this thing. I mean, this dog loves finding deer. He, he ripped the tail off my deer. He was drinking the blood. He was going crazy. Oh, so man. I, I couldn't believe that this tiny little dachshund had like found my deer, had tracked my deer, that this woman knew exactly what was up before she even got there, that she knew that we were going to find him, that she knew he was going to bust out of where he bedded. And this dog that I thought as like this tiny little, you know, purse dog is drinking the blood from the deer and ripping the tail off of him and ripping patches of hair out of his hide. And Tyson looks at me and goes, dude, do you know what you just did? You just shot a 10 pointer. And I'm like, what? No way. Cause at this point I'm, I'm still standing 10 yards away in utter shock that this just happened. I mean, this is, it was at this point, seven 15 at night. And I'd shot him at like nine 15 that morning. Mm-hmm. I, I could not believe that we even found this deer, uh, much less that he was laying right in front of me. He goes, dude, you shot a 10 pointer. That's a 10 pointer. And then you hear Suzanne, who was the tracker. She turns around and she goes, no, it's an 11 pointer. So now I'm beaming. I'm like, I shot an 11 pointer and I walk over to this thing and sure enough, an 11 pointer. And you know, he's, he's got the paddles on both sides and he's real wide. He's got these crazy points and trash going off everywhere. He would have been a 12 pointer, but he broke off a time fighting. I mean, I, I couldn't, I couldn't believe it. We oh man, that's awesome. Six, but he was a toy. He was a 12 that turned into an 11. And so we're sitting on this mountain and this guy and his kid finally catch up to us. And the kid's going crazy. He's like, it's the first deer I've ever seen. This is awesome. So I'm like, get over here, buddy. So now I'm taking pictures of this kid that I just met in the woods 20 minutes ago. <laughs> and with this woman, I have this, I have this picture of me, her and the dog and the dogs in my lap, like biting the deer. It was a, it was a great, great night. And uh, so she looks at us and she goes, so how do I get out of here? <laughs> She's like, uh, I have no idea how to get out of here. So we, we get her phone number and we kind of send her a pin of where she parked and she hikes out with the, the guy and his son and we get to work uh, gutting and, and processing this deer. And then I said, uh, Tyson, we're, we're uh, pretty far away from <laughs> where we parked. And he goes, yeah, we're about a, a 1.7 miles. Oh man. I was like, dude, we're not dragging this deer 1.7 miles, whether he's rutted out or not. Like we're not getting this deer that far. And he goes, yeah, yeah, I know. I know. So he starts looking at his, on, on his online maps and he goes, all right, how do you feel about a 950 yard drag? And I said, a lot better. And he goes, the problem is it's up the mountain. And I said, all right, (laughs) I guess we're just going to bite the bullet and do it. So the next, you know, hour, hour and a half was, a very painstaking drag over deadfall and through, you know, blueberry and raspberry bushes um, 
up to the road. And that, that, that was the worst physical exercise I had ever done at that point. Yeah. I, I was running at this, at this point I was running like 30 miles a week. Like that was my running regimen. I was running 30 miles every single week in seven days. I would do a 30, 30 miles total. And Tyson doesn't run like at all. Like, I don't even know if he has a gym membership. Well, what I do know is he dogged me going up that mountain. Like he, like he did this every day. Like, this is what he trained to do. And I had to stop like every like 50 yards to catch my breath. Cause I wasn't, oh. he's just looking at me, calling me a flatlander. <laughs> you don't know nothing about it. I really like your friend Tyson. The fact that he's just kind of like get, turn the truck around. I mean, he's very like no nonsense. Like, and, and he dogs you a lot. I, that's the type of friend you need to have. I mean, he was razzing me too. Calling me a flatlander, telling me I don't know nothing about the mountains up in northern Maine. And he's just yanking this thing up the mountain. I felt like I was just along for the ride. Like he was dragging me and the deer. Like we both had a hand on on a on an antler dragging this thing up. But man, he was outworking me. I mean, I gained a lot of respect for his physical strength at that point. He's not a big guy either. He's just I guess he's just used to it, but yeah. My body was not. So we finally get this thing up to the road and we're like, you know, a half mile away from where the truck's parked and we got to walk uphill to get to the truck to come back down to get the deer. So I'm dead and he just starts marching up the road that we drove up earlier that day to go up to the truck. And I'm like trying to keep up with him. I'm like panting. I'm out of breath. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm talking to my buddy on the phone, telling him that, you know, we found the deer because I told him earlier in the day that, you know, we, we couldn't find it. And I'm telling him that we found the deer and he's all excited. And, you know, I can barely get the words out on the phone because I'm like, <sighs> he's, he's just talking normal, pointing stuff out to me in the dark. He's like, oh, you see that over there? There's a rub over there. And I'm like, how do you even see that, dude? And how can you talk to me right now? Like, we just dragged 150 pound dressed out deer up 950 like yards of just straight cliff over deadfall. And he's, he's fine. Yeah, we get to the truck. He's already there. He's already beat me to the truck. He, the things the truck's already started. He's in the driver's seat. I get in the passenger side and his hands already out with a bottle of water. <laughs> he already knows. So I grab the bottle of water and I'm just like chugging for my life because I'm dead at this point. We drive down, load the deer up. At this point, I'm finally like, all right, he's really mine. I've had the tag on him since we shot, like since we found him with this woman uh, we got him in the back of the tailgate now. Like, I feel like he is my deer. We get down to the tagging station. We walk in. There's a tagging station right at the bottom of this mountain. We walk in and I said, hey, like, how many deer were shot today? And there were like 70 dudes on the mountain that we counted. And she goes, you guys are the only the second deer that got tagged in today. Whoa. No huh. way. And she was like, yep, two deer, one doe and you guys. I could not believe it. So we ended up driving it to my buddy Austin's house, who I turkey hunt with and who i deer hunted earlier that year with we drove the buck to his house hung it in his garage and uh sat back and just kind of stared at it for a while and you know he's over the moon for me too he's jumping up and down you shot an 11 pointer dude he's going crazy and uh my deer might have been you know a lot less weight than those guys but it was it was a trophy to me man i i I got that thing up on up on my mantle right now and i look at it every day with the same amount of pride i did that day so that was my first buck and that was probably the craziest deer hunting story I'm ever going to have, but I'm Man, that is an incredible story. <laughs> <laughs> it was wild. I, I definitely, I, I wouldn't have wanted to see my, uh, my hormone change that day. I mean, I'm, I was all over the place, man. man I think the hunting is so, I mean, it, it's, it's, 
it's crazy how quickly things can change. Like in a matter of seconds, you can go from the highest of highs to the lowest of lows. I've been there this past season. I was there and you just have these moments where you just feel so super confident. Like you're going to find that deer any second. And then the next thing you, you like, you start doubting and then that doubt turns into like despair. And it's like, I'm never going to find this deer. And I just, um, I've experienced that so many times today. I went back and watched my buddy Trav's video and same thing. He, he shot a deer. wasn't sure about it. We had a dog um, and we're tracking and it, it was just at certain points we're like, man, I don't know if this is going to happen. You know, like this deer may have gotten away. And then when you find it, it's just, it almost makes it, it's not better, but it, it almost gives you a, like a, a greater sense of appreciation. I don't know how to describe it. Like, Sometimes you shoot them and they fall right over and that's really cool. But going on like a long track job and then finding that, you know, uh, pot of gold at the end of the rainbow is pretty special too. I was, I was super appreciative because the 35 Remington lever action that I shot that deer with was actually my grandfather who had died uh, two years before who was a big deer hunter and Mm -hmm. shot bear with that gun. He had left it to me. It was the only thing he left to me when he died. And I, I have like 20 other cousins. So I was actually like, I was over the moon that he left me that gun. And the fact that I was able to like shoot my first buck with that gun just made it all the much better. And, and the fact that, you know, I was, I was super upset with the fact that I didn't put a better shot on that deer and that it was able to make it that far and that we had to bump it with a dog. And like that took a little bit of away from me because I felt horrible about the, of the situation. Obviously I would like a super fast ethical kill. Um, But the fact that that deer didn't end up, you know, getting that mountain's got a lot of coyotes on it. And I uh, I know Tyson went back the next day and like not even a golf ball size part of my gut pile was left. I mean, it was. Mm. And so uh, a wounded deer like that bedded down by himself in a, in a valley thicket. And you, you're as we were gutting this deer out. I mean, it was just like coyote yelps all around us. Oh and yeah. I, I was like thinking, you know, I'm, I'm actually grateful that we found this deer and that he didn't go to waste or that, you know, that he didn't, he didn't suffer any longer than this because who knows what would have happened if those dogs gone in on him that night. So that was a question for you. I got to wrap this up. Did you shoot him in the leg? Where did you hit this deer at? So that's, what's crazy. When I dropped him off at the butcher, uh, we thought that I had just shot him really far back. And then when I picked him up from the butcher, uh, the butcher said, uh, just a question. Why'd you shoot this deer so many times? I was like, what are you talking about? And he was like, well, I, I found four bullets. And well, he said three, three bullets in this deer. And I said, what are you talking about? He's like, well, one through the lungs. So I'm like, okay, that was the tracker. And he goes, one in no man's land above the shoulder. Mm. So my, that was my first shot. And then he goes and and one uh, right through both of the back ball joints of his hips. Oh, okay. All so right. That second shot where I almost rolled him down the mountain as he was running away and I took that follow-up shot, I blew both back of his hip joints out i shot okay him both so that deer was definitely not going to get away he was definitely not going to survive you know i mean yeah, I, I don't i don't think he was going to live but he clawed it up pretty good so yeah oh man that no man's land will get you i lost a deer like that one time and bleeds good for a good while and then it just nothing you know drops after that so yep man that's really connor that's going to be hard to top that just that story now maybe the experience will be a little bit different on the next turn but just the story itself. That's, that's pretty epic tale right there. Yeah, it was, it was definitely memorable. And I, I was glad that, you know, uh, you know, two of my really close friends were able to be there with me too. the guys that really got me into deer hunting. And after that night, I, I was hooked, man. I, 
I'm crazy now. I got Excel sheet with <laughs> times and wind at that time and everything. I, they have destroyed my bank account and my mind. I can't think of anything else while I'm at work or at home or, or anything. It is tough to balance. It is. I mean, it's <laughs> something to get excited about. And it's just fun because you do it. It's kind of like me catching that bass the other day. I am not never been into fishing, but once I caught the big boy, I was, you just want to do it again. You're like, I, I want right? to, I want that experience again and again and again it just um something about it it's just enjoyable and i think what's really cool about your story is you have some selfless friends um and i think it's a lesson to all of us you know we've talked i've talked about so much in this podcast about you know trying to be that kind of friend for other people and just having those kind of people in your life that are willing to you know even though they may be tagged out or they may be tired out they still are going to be there to and have your back you know that's that's if you got a friend like that you should probably let them know that you appreciate them because you don't ever want to lose friends like that that's for sure it was awesome man i mean that whole time that we were sitting down in the truck i was just staring up at the sky going god please just please 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 let me find this <laughs> <laughs> and tyson's just sitting there smiling at me and he goes hey man like you just gotta have faith it'll happen if it's supposed to happen we'll, we'll find this deer and, you know i was i was really happy to have somebody there that was able to you know uh keep me level and and flat-headed absolutely man oh, that's awesome I have. i'm lucky well, but, i'm really glad that you uh reached out really glad that you told me that story that is an epic one for the ages and um i wish you good luck in your summer scouting there's a lot of time between now and uh deer season coming in but i, I hope that you have a great fall as well and enjoy that fishing connor I, I think it's getting good right now well thank you for having me and uh i hope you have a good deer season i hope you keep getting on those fish i hope you find the addiction like i have yeah, I like I encourage guys go over check out Main Meat Collection, Main Meat Collection. It's on YouTube and on Instagram. And you guys are slaying fish. You've been slaying fish for like a long time. I got like winter pictures I'm looking at here, and um, sounds like you a lot guys of ice are, fishing. Yeah, looks like a lot of fun, a lot of fun. So, yep. well, Connor, I appreciate you coming on, sharing the story, man. And I hope to catch up with you soon. All right. I appreciate it. Have a good night. You too. Bye. Give a man a fish, and you feed him for a day. Teach a man to fish, and you feed him for a lifetime. I'm sure that you've heard that old adage before. It's a very popular phrase, not in the Bible, um, but the concept is there. I think about Connor and his friends being willing to kind of take him out and show him the ropes. And I think about my friend Bobby Andrews, who I owe credit for that big bass. Uh, Bobby and I had a, a video chat where he talked about, showed me what was in his tackle box, and he used the different, showed me the different uh, baits that he used, and talked about uh, the worm that I actually used to catch that guy on. Um, you know, so there's something about making it easy for people. I do that for my kids sometimes. I just want to do things for them instead of teach them the process. Um, same thing whenever I've been hunting, I've, I've wanted to put people in like a good spot, put somebody in a spot where they just shoot a deer over a corn pile. And while that's easy, it, it doesn't actually teach them the process of hunting. And, and I think that's something that I want to get better at. I want to learn how to teach people the process of hunting or fishing or whatever it is and bring them along, not just make it just a handout. And I think Jesus had that ability. He actually called these fishermen to become fishers of men. He called people out to follow him and learn how to do what he did. He didn't just wave his magic fingers and turn them into something completely different. No, he he brought them through. And I think in my life, I think about Jesus doing the same thing. Um, I, I became a Christian June 15th, 1997. Uh, and that just so happens to be, I didn't even realize, um, uh, 
today is the anniversary of that. Um, my dad baptized me into Christ. I knew very little. I was 11 years old. And um, I didn't know a lot, but I just knew that I wanted to follow the Lord. And, and that was the beginning. And since that moment, 11 years old to now being 35, um, I just see the different ways I've changed over those years and the way God has brought me through different things and challenges. He's teaching me to fish. He's teaching me to hunt. He hasn't just instantly made me be what I think I ought to be, what I wish I could be. He's transforming me. And uh, if you will let him, he will do the same thing for you, and you won't regret it. It's a great process, a great journey. Guys, I want to thank you for listening to another episode. Hope that you come back for another one next week. And until then, remember to shed the light.